You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, Our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanow, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey everyone, welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey, and I have the pleasure, we have David Laughlin with us interviewing today too. David. Hello. Hello. And today we are talking to Ted Mikulowski. Welcome, Ted. Hi, Tamara. Hi, David. Hey. So good to have you. Um, I'll give you a little intro. So Ted is an illustration professor at SCAD since 2017. And before that, he's had a many years long career in commissioned illustration, showing your art in galleries, and working as a courtroom artist for high profile trials. I'm going to read from your bio on Instagram. I like how you described yourself as an on the spot slash reportage slash lifestyle illustrator, which was very cool. Oh, that's great. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I always love just the way that people describe themselves in their Instagram sure. bio. I always think it's just very telling because you only have a few words. So it's like your poetry. Well, it, if I may, yeah. it, if I was to sum it up, if I were to sum it up, I would just say interaction artist because <gasps> oh. I feel, uh, not to jump ahead of the interview, but I really think what I do is at, at my best, my studio is where I stand. And I'm not an artist in the conventional manner, liking to work in isolation, but I like to be out and about and interacting with people. And it's really, I really feel that the medium of my artwork, even though I work mostly in ink, the medium of my artwork is the moment. Yeah, and you're capturing motion is your big thing. Yes, and the experience is the true surface. And motion is a part of it. And uh, uh, just... uh, being fueled by a love of life and reinforcing a love of life and doing that. Oh, that's beautiful. I, so the thing, I mean, just the things that you depict in general, the way that you are capturing people and it's very, very fast is, I, I feel like for me, I think is the hardest thing possible to do. And I feel like for a lot of people that just seems so foreign. So I'm really, really fascinated by how you got well, to this. Well, that breaks down to the courtroom uh, sketches that you have done because that uh, you, I was wondering about this because for one thing, how'd you get that gig? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it, 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 uh, the, actually, for as exciting or anticlimactic as this is, the, the phone just rang in uh, October of 2005. But I have to say, on, if I could just interrupt Please. myself for a moment, yeah. with you mentioning about uh, getting out there and uh, capturing people through drawings, uh, courtroom illustration, I just realized, is drawing people who have already been captured. Oh, oh wow. You can use that now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, That's good. It, it, it's, you know, titles can, can mean a lot, and a really good illustrator friend of mine who was a classmate of mine from my Hartford MFA uh, alma mater, uh, Dan Brauner, one day gave me the gift of the title, Crooked Lines for Crooked Times. Nice. And I've, I've used that ever since. So now it's uh, capturing people through drawing, drawing people who have already and been captured. Wow. It's not just capturing, but it's also at the moment, because yeah. you have a limit, very limited time. Yes. They're not going to be standing around uh, posing for you. Yes. They're busy doing their courtroom thing. Right. And I was wondering also about the palette. Do you worry about, do you, are you concerned about that? Do you bring in a limited number of color when you do that? David, I think your, your ESP is tuned high <laughs> because it, to answer the question of that and back to how did I get the gig, okay. uh, I, I got a call from ABC News in October 2005 having no idea 
as to how they got my name or why they were calling me. They just said, we need you as a courtroom artist. And I thought, of course, why am I going to question this? Yes. Uh, let's just get on it, uh, sliding down the razor blade of life. Yes. I'm there. And, and then the next thing I think is your question. My next thought is, what do I use? I don't want to go in there and uh, spill, yeah. spill any kind of pain on, yeah, and then have, and be fumbling over a large amount of supplies. Right. And right. Uh, so in the beginning, I was using uh, water-soluble crayons because I thought if these fall, they're, they're not going to mess up the carpet of a historic courthouse. Oh. And, uh, and then I would, I would just act, I would put my color down, activate them. I don't know if I'm getting too technical no, for please, you. No, not for but, me. And then I would bring uh, a, a synthetic sable brush with me and I would bring in like a, a, a lotion jar. And the reason for that is just like a, an airport, a courthouse, needs you to go through security and a metal detector and you cannot oh, bring in any liquids. Right. So I would bring in a, a lotion jar, empty of course, but the great thing about right. lotion jars, they make really great water containers when you need to just take in an empty container to fill in at the water fountain outside the courtroom. Oh, right. so smart. Yeah, and, and thank you. <laughs> and, but at, at the same time, they, they give you, a, they, they, they sell them with a bottle full of lotion that you can actually use in the meantime, which right. helps with all the nervous anxiety going into the courtroom. So I fill that up with water and then dunk my brush in the water and activate the color that I laid down. As I did more and more courtroom illustration, as I did uh, a few years later doing bigger trials, I thought, yeah. I'm going to graduate to just a handheld palette. I'm going to be fine. I'm, then I'll cut out that middle step of activating the color. And my, as I became more seasoned and in my own groove, my own personal rule was I would only take enough that would go in a, um, uh, a moderately sized portfolio case to draw in a 14 by 17 right. Bristol pad and some handheld watercolor so that I always had one hand free to shake hands, to open a door, because it's intense. Wow. And yeah. people aren't necessarily being polite before a trial, and it's, it really takes... It takes a lot of uh, aggressive uh, maneuvers. Yeah, it's Did a you, whole, whole different environment there than, than say, teaching a class, yeah. for instance. So when you got yes, the but then a lot of it is the same. There's a lot of elements that are the same. A lot of it is very, is very different, and uh, just being able to uh, act, uh, I have to say, act with conviction. That's another title for a workshop, Drawing with Conviction. Wow. Many, many puns. Yeah. yeah. Did you, I was curious, so you said when you got the call to, for your first courtroom illustrator job, you were just a few years out of undergrad, right? Uh, I, was, I was 12 years old in 2005. <laughs> and <Okay>. No, <laughs> well, you no I was, yeah, I was a few years, yeah. well, I, was, I just finished my graduate studies oh, yeah, okay. in uh, the prestigious program directed by... At 12, by, right? Yeah, at 12. That's great. The, and, the yeah, I was, I, was a young, yeah, I was a young wunderkind. Yeah, and, that's great. Uh, I just came through Murray Tinkleman's directed program at uh, Syracuse. I had Murray Tinkleman written down. You were in the inaugural class of the Masters of Fine Art Illustration. So after Syracuse, uh, Murray, uh, as I would call it, uh, Murray was the Zeus of illustration, and he had, wherever he taught was Mount Olympus, because all the gods of wow. illustration would gather. He wouldn't just have uh, faculty who were available to teach a class. He, he brought in the biggest world-class illustrators mm -hmm 
to teach classes, and he made them very concentrated classes you because. Lucky. Yeah, so it was it was great. And now, for instance, David, as we're sitting here in Agatha's cafe and looking at this beautiful mural that you did, uh, for those of us who are listening in and can't see what we see, uh, a major illustrator educator I had was Gary Kelly, who's best known for doing the murals throughout any cafe in Barnes and Noble. So that was a, a great honor and a great experience. Yeah. That was something else I was going to ask you about. Please ask. Precursor to all that. Yeah. Your influences when you were growing up that made you become an illustrator. You must have been doing it before you can remember. Uh, yeah. The, the, my true influence would have been uh, Sister Mary Shrapnel Wound in sixth grade who would always have us all shut up and she was so mean in, in St. Anne's Monastery School, which shall not be named. And, uh, well, you just did. and uh, my friend next to me, Rich Makowskis, realized the only way we could communicate and get this out was to make drawings uh, and, and trade them with each other. And of course, there were all drawings of the monstrous Sister Mary Shrapnel Wound uh, teaching the, the class. Yeah. I love that name so much. I'm going to use that. <laughs> well, there was Sister Mary Bloodbath, Sister Mary. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, they don't, they don't try to, they don't try to hide their intentions. There's oh no God. facade where did, there. Where, what kind of sadistic teaching did you go through? It was, there? uh, uh, St. Anne's, uh, sadistic monastery yeah. school. But I, I think something that you'll appreciate all the more is the longer I live my life, I really believe that my initial inspirations for an artistic life weren't artistic, they were athletic. And it came from my father, uh, who was always pushing me to get out there, be involved, and while um, other kids might not have been involved in as much. Uh, not just sit in your room and draw. Th that's, well, more so sit in your room and play video games. Okay. He, if I was drawing, he was happy because I was involved in something, I was, uh, Immersed and something. connected. Pardon me? Producing something. Producing, activated. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, my father was entirely about making friends, uh, playing sports, getting out there, being activated. Being involved and, with the world. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. And I've seen through my life and watching his life, my father is 92 right now, Frank Michalowski, who uh, lives now in... Uh, northeastern Pennsylvania with my sister Eileen. Uh, I, I look back at that and I, I realize that he gave me the greatest treasure I could have ever hoped for, not True. even known to hope for, was right. the, the value of making and keeping and maintaining friendships. Engagement. Yes, and, and living a, a, a pleasantly, productively aggressive life. Well, you've done that. So far, you're doing great. Thanks, because you're teaching. Yeah. You know. Well, not to have any <laughs> misinterpretations of the word aggressive, yeah. but I. Uh, but it was about. Um, I'm going to draw you, whether you like it or not. <laughs> well, there, there is there there is, that. there is some of that. Most of the time, drawing people, it comes from them not knowing, uh, which is uh, more of a, a stealth way. But that that really is. I, I think that uh, being in. Uh, parochial school with the nun making sure everyone in the class shut up and was seen and not heard and just listened. Right, right. That really pushed the, the communication visually as well as we're in a situation, uh, it was a bit oppressive and here's how we react, we react to that. And maybe that's the mm -hmm. Polish 
in me, making visual imagery based on uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, constricted society conditions. And then my father was the fuel of it in, in making friends and getting out there, being active and being athletic. And from that, sure. more technically, comes the, the entire necessity of athletics, which pours directly into making art in a direct means, as, as I do, in a yeah. reportage manner, is hand-eye coordination. Yeah. And there is that friendliness of drawing, of connecting with someone visually and thinking, oh, well. what yeah. makes this person interesting? What makes them unique? And then I think that turns around too, and it makes one who draws in a sketchbook way, draws people directly, it makes them appreciate people all the more and if I may, not to get too heavy, Please. but I think, uh, I think if the world drew people, if there were portrait classes taught, I think we would have far less racism in the world because people would be taught at a very young age to appreciate features, just mm. like you Individual travel. Individual humans. Yes, and then we would look at each other and say, what an interesting brow you have. Right. Please sit next to me, <laughs> rather than quick throw your book bag on that chair so yeah. that person doesn't sit there. Mm. Yeah, right. Well, I had wanted to ask you your affinity and how good you are at depicting people quickly as they're moving around. It wasn't until I was in uh, my sophomore year, exactly 20 years ago, celebrating this anniversary of meeting Fred Brenner, my uh, greatest and most meaningful teacher, who taught me uh, how to draw in the true language of drawing and to really look and see what's around. And he's the person who inspired me to um, leave behind the more adolescent subject matter of barbarians and beasts and buxom mm. babes and yeah. uh, goblins. I try to find another bee, but uh, he, and, and I, because of him, I just started drawing in diners and drawing uh, senior citizens with huge beehive hairdos real and very life. real, real life yeah. very interesting landscapes because the face itself is a landscape yeah. and just like you are more worldly the more places you travel the more people you truly look at and drawing forces you to really look at people uh, the more worldly you are in traveling the landscapes of people's faces their visual personalities so that, that yeah. came later, and uh, it was Fred Brenner who really revolutionized my way of looking at drawing as a language. And then from then, it wasn't what I drew that was exciting, it was how I could draw that was exciting. And being not so much about the subject matter, but about the visual opportunity, which then circles back and then uh, lends sort opportunity of, to draw sort of, the subject yeah. matter. Sort of the moment. Yeah, it's always the moment. The, the immediacy, he would say, there is no later, and uh, I, I, that was something that re really pushed me. And, and, and my, but my father would uh, say very uh, much a parallel synonymously, he who hesitates is lost. So that's been a mentality that I think drives me, or I like to think drives me, yeah. in any aspect of direction well, or place of life. Not to jump all over the timeline. But, Let's jump all over. But I will anyway, uh, because draw some. Yeah is what you've been doing lately, or yes. recently, I yes. should say. Yes, yes. And that was the live mural battle block party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that drawing. was actually, okay, so but wait, part wait, of wait, me, wait, 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 yeah. wait. Okay. With breakdancer models. Huh. So that's recent. Um, that's last, th this past February, at SCAD Museum of Art was uh, the SCAD Define Art 
mural battle block party and we uh, I, I selected some other professors, Ben Ward, Cameron Tidi, and Doug Soroy, who are also very dear friends of mine, and that's when you have the best colleagues. Sure. And uh, we, and with some graduate students, and we painted a mural of the breakdancers as they were going. And, and I also had to insist to be taught some breakdancing moves while we were there. Oh, absolutely, it's yeah. part of the moment. And, and just give the students an opportunity, uh, I, I, there's, certainly over a thousand in attendance, there might even have been 1,600, uh, th to give the students an, an opportunity to uh, pass the mic a little bit and heckle their professors in a celebratory, appropriate uh, way. So you're all in a common media yeah, ground. Yeah, let's, let's keep it real. Yeah, oh, I love that. But when, when you talked about just being taught about the moment and depicting it, is it like, if you glance at somebody and you're trying to draw their face and they're moving constantly and you look at them for a second, is it almost like you have to have a photographic memory where you can look at them and you take a snapshot and then you can just draw that no matter that they're moving and they're in a different angle at every second? It's a great question. You are asking the perfect questions. And really? I, I, think, I think an analogous answer would be how good are you rem at remembering lyrics to songs? Uh, okay. Uh, so if you listen to a song and you listen to it once, maybe you remember the chorus or you remember the first line. But the more you listen to that song, the more you can sing along. And then the more songs you learn to sing along with, the easier it is to know the next song. Uh. Same thing visually, where if you're looking at people and you, it's just like, you know, if you hike, you know how to handle different types of terrain. And even if you're up against something new rather than doing it for the first time. So, if drawing was hiking the terrain of individuals, you've encountered certain types of terrain before, uh, and you can, uh, if your mind adheres to it all the more, the more you do it, you grab it, and you can keep a bit more of it when you draw. That's wild. Yeah, so it's even... Great, almost great like there's patterns in people's faces sure. that you have logged over well, time. the landscape of the face, I thought, was a great line. Wow. Yeah. Well, that makes you, so much sense. Some people's faces are craggy, like a mountain. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, Why are and, you looking at me when you said this? <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, well I'm going to have to do a drawing. I was drawing. looking at your beard, which is like a cornfield. I'm going to have right. to do a drawing really quickly so we can show it to the microphone <laughs> to show what David looks like no, today. No, we're good. No, that's, uh, why, that's why we do radio. So a, a fascinating tree <laughs> as a bonus for that question would be, um, and I've only found one other person who admits to doing this, is from drawing people time and time again, all these through fashion illustration, courtroom illustration, lifestyle illustration on the spot, drawing, being aware of so many, like you say, patterns in the face or developments, evolutions in the face. I find myself, whether this be a blessing or a curse, but I can look at some people and predict how they're gonna age and where their face is going to go. Just wow. by drawing so many people and think, oh, that person is going to maintain a taut jaw throughout <laughs> most of their life. Oh or What a perspective. Yeah. And I, uh, another professor, thank you, David. Sure. And Wait, another, but would you only know that because you've drawn that same person as years have gone on? So you've seen how people age? Not that same person, but familiar. But like, how, Total would you know, stranger. how would you know how somebody's yeah. going to age unless you've seen I, like how people age? How I think just ages. drawing people more so, not of drawing certain people, but drawing people of... Um, certain genetic developments okay. facially and uh, people of, uh, where, where you've just drawn people enough where you could see, oh, okay, I know like 
okay, that, you know, the, that brow can't wait to drop. Oh, certain features. Or, yeah. Features. It sounds okay. like you're going with your gut through previous experience. Yeah, yeah, like you can, oh you can tell. Well, just like, I don't know, maybe there's some type of meteorologist's analogy or thinking what's going to happen to, um, you know, you, how things are going to look. But I've, I've, another professor at SCAD in illustration, Stephen Gardner, who came to us from Brooklyn, who's a longtime friend of mine, absolute delicious personality, but I asked him, do you, I, I can see how people will age when I draw them just from drawing so much. Does this happen to you? And, and, and this is how he talks and the types of things he says. He says, you know, well, Ted, yes, it actually does happen to me. When I look at people, I can tell, oh, they're not going to be pretty for much longer. Oh, my gosh. You know what, what I was thinking? Thing, as you mentioned this, you know how, like, there's this whole thing where people talk about you go to a party and you meet somebody who's a psychiatrist or a psychologist and then you get nervous talking to them because you're like, oh God, they're right. analyzing, analyzing me. Yeah. They're figuring out where all of my weird mm. points are. So I wonder when people know this about you, are they paranoid to even be in your presence because you're thinking about how poorly they're going to age? Let me guess. Uh, I, I, do, I do look at things, but I look more probably at how fabric drapes on shoulders and how it bunches up and elbows. I don't know if that's a really boring or interesting answer for you, but... but that's, oh, a, that's exactly what I mean. You're <laughs> doing it from that point of view where they yeah. might, especially someone who doesn't draw a lot or paint a lot or whatever, uh, is not involved in the graphics. Uh, yeah. They don't think of it that way so much. But yeah. you are way beyond that. Oh, wow. On the other end. Well, thank you. See what I mean? Now, now if someone, <laughs> if, if I'm sitting and if someone is looking at me just, and of course, okay, I'm moving my head and I know the radio listeners can't see this. The He's moving hundreds, his head. Hundreds of thousands of listeners right now. <laughs> but if, if, if you're looking at someone who's at a three-quarter profile and you can see uh, just underneath the nose to the mouth and you see just that little bit of an edge mm -hmm. of a cheek, and it just gives such volume to the head. If I'm talking to someone, and if they can offer me that, they're my friend forever, whether they're <laughs> aware of it or not. If I can just somehow try to encourage is them that to just quarter can you just is that your favorite? Keep, keep looking. You have a little <laughs> bit of a tip. Look. Just keep looking at me, but point your nose over towards the corner of that door frame. Okay, now we're friends. Have you ever done sculpting with clay at all? I feel like you would just be so amazing at creating busts of heads. Well. It would make my head bust because it would take too much time. I like to do. Yeah. I I, I like immediacy. Well, I I like mediums that uh, my size is extra medium. Uh, <laughs> I like mediums that uh, have some have an immediacy yeah. to it, right? And, yeah, yeah. And I only just now realized that the root of medium is the same as immediacy. It's the same root. Is this something you just realized? While I just you're realized here? this right now. When Immediately, I, you realized we that. We captured that. Uh, we, That's you, great. you, you ignited that, That's uh, great. David and Tamara. You have such inspiringly igniting presence well, and personalities. Yes. And your father said he wanted you to capture the immediacy of the moment. That was my teacher, Fred teacher. Brenner, okay. uh, who was my second father. My uh, true all-time father, Frank Michalowski, was about very much about connecting with people, and and also something that I noticed in him that he never mentioned is that he never met anybody for the first time. And what I'm, and this has be, become one of the most valuable things to me in my life, is that there's no such thing as the introduction, as the, oh, hi, how are you? I'm, it, whenever he would meet somebody, it was immediate, immediately, hey, hey, come on over, here we are. <laughs> We've already and, been through yeah, that. Yeah, we're connected. And, yeah. 
And I thought that's just so valuable because if, if I ever came home, and I think this has to do with drawing immediately, looking at people, because when I would come home from some type of school event or party or whatever in high school, and I said, Dad, he said, what are you doing home so early? I said, ah, that one kid is there. I just, I just don't like being around him. I'm just uncomfortable. That would infuriate my father more than anything. He says, no, you are not going to be uncomfortable. Get back there. Go to that party, and you have every right to be comfortable. My father would teach, if you do the right thing, you have every reason to be comfortable no matter where you are. You never have to lie. And I thought, this element of presence and confidence is uh, so valuable. What a great liberty to have with this mindset in life, which is very much required in athletics, and in uh, drawing from uh, observation with immediacy, but also in social interactions. And also very much that's a connection with teaching and being in the class is, is being able to let people know, I, I don't need to talk about the initial chit chat. I really appreciate this moment with you. Yeah. I only have this moment in life. You're a part of it. Let's make this time really valuable without even articulating it. It's just a natural sense state of mind. Dude, you know what? I'm, I can tell David has a lot to say. We're going to go to no, our no, no. station break and then we will jump right back I can't in wait to hear. with everything David has to say. You are listening to WRUULP Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. Trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to WRUU.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 FM. Hey everyone, welcome back to Arts on the Air. You have Tamara Garvey and David Lachlan, and we are interviewing Ted Mikulowski, illustration professor at SCAD and amateur rock DJ voice. Radio Lose, 
Tune it in and rip the knob off. Yeah, that's an amazing you got a great rock voice. DJ oh, voice. Yeah, that sounded really good. You might have to do the uh, intro for Art on the Air. Okay. Right? All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually, it's funny you say that. And I'm actually celebrating the 30-year anniversary of the first radio show that I was on uh, with uh, Tom O'Neill, who was the, who was a major Sounds influence familiar. in... Well, he's doing storyboard illustration right now for Warner Brothers television shows like uh, uh, Supergirl and The Flash. In, uh, in, in, it lives in Beverly Hills. And I met him at a movie theater. He was a projectionist in the United Artists Eric Movie Theater, my first job when I was 15, and really just set my life in motion. Was to... motion a pun? Pardon? Motion was a pun. Uh, you caught something and I didn't realize I did. And you're <laughs> setting it in really, motion. You're you're really yeah, set everything in motion, yeah, yeah. right? It, it uh, got the reels going. Yeah. And uh, he, I would go upstairs and he was doing his illustration assignments, and I thought, wow, you could have this as a job. I thought all job opportunities from like my career advisor in high school were limited to the figures you'd see under the Christmas tree. Like you could be a mailman, or you could be a doctor, right. or you could be a police officer. And I thought, wow, you can be, you could just draw stories and it's called illustration. And, uh, and then skip ahead three years and we did a radio show together, which was a, a very tongue-in-cheek, total ridiculous show called Doomsday Radio in summer of 1993, 30 years ago, a mm. uh, university radio channel. And we would um, just bring in our friends every week and have them be uh, guests like... Uh, uh, the good butt Baron Von Tim Meister, gun expert and Elvis impersonator from the Big Happy Moon mm. Cheese House of Doom. And this is 30 years ago, and I remember a name wow, good like memory. that. Yeah. yeah. So, 30 year like anniversary fun. to that in terms of being a radio uh, DJ personality. Yeah. But it all fits into Look this. Look where you are now. It all fits yes. into this is, uh, you know, as a new Beatles single is being released today on November 2nd. Uh, it all comes by with get a by with a little help from my friends. All of these accomplishments, initiationary events in life, all have to do with being connected to people and cultivating a connection and electricity and energy between each other and surrounding yourself with the type of people who amplify your life. You help them, mm. they help you, and then that's how life propels. We don't just fall off the sun. For as many artists who would like to inflate, or how did you uh, euphemistically describe ego earlier on, like a, a, a healthy sense of self-esteem? So a lot of people will like to take credit for initiating everything themselves. I, I can't think of anything that I've done without great help and connection with others who've been most meaningful. And that's the true treasure in life, is uh, meaningful, productive that's friendships. That's one of the best outlooks that yeah. anybody can have, really. Oh, thank it's you. Because David. we're all connected. Yeah. And a lot of people forget that. Yeah. Um, at least Team the spirit. One, at least the ones who don't give me credit forget. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can I ask you, so David kind of touched a bit on in the first oh, half dear. about, um, your, so your work, your travels through Poland. Okay. Can you talk a bit? Did, Draw four. Yeah, had you gone to Poland many, many times before you started doing this like yearly pilgrimage there to do these art travel so, explorations? So it all starts with connection and continues with connection and lives on with connection. 
The reason I started going to Poland was when my father's uh, eldest sister, uh, my Aunt Mary, uh, passed away. And I realized, okay, now no one is speaking to each other in Polish in my family. Uh, my, my father wasn't speaking Polish with anyone. And I thought, and a, a driving force throughout all my life, ever since I was young, I never grew out of the mindset of, I want to make my father proud. Mm. And so I flew to Poland in 2009 on my own, hoping to find family. Instead, I found the friendliest people who didn't let me go further than that. And it definitely became a bird in hand versus two in the bush scenario because I thought, I don't know if I'm going to find family out here. I don't know if I can track them down because it's not as easy as in America. But, but something yeah. called you to go there. Wow. Yeah. And the initial, yeah. the initial spark was to find family, but yeah. you were open. To keep wow. the Polish element in my, in my family. And, and as you so nicely pronounced my name, Mikolowski, when I'm in Poland, they say Michowowski. So in Love Poland it. is Teju Michowowski. Teju is a friendly version Tedju's of like Tadeusz. Yeah, and, and Tadeusz would be Thaddeus and just Ted. So when I went over there, I thought, okay, if, if I went there on my own, uh, I just met so many friends, just immediate friends. It's like you find, when you have that moment when you meet your recent, recently discovered dear old friend, it's the greatest occurrence in life. Yeah. We click. This is your people. And this happened repeatedly, and I think that they, um, they just really liked saying... Uh, uh, this is um, Tedju Michowowski, American artist with Polish roots. And I thought, wow. And it became a bit of a, like a, a pass and all. But, but not just capitalizing on a pass. I thought they treated me so well. I have to return next year and contribute. And the following year. And the following year. And I would come back and bring my good friend Jason Smeltzer, who's a professional thereminist. And we would do live music, live drawing events. Wow. So we would go back year after year and uh and and do live music live drawing uh events yeah. and and people there were so appreciative and and it's interesting because in of course throughout europe certainly poland uh art the arts are such a common conversation sure and and people who they don't watch much tv per se i mean on, on let's average, hope i yeah. would hope yeah and so there's a little more open for the conversation yeah, yeah. To the they're art very community. aware yeah. and and, and they like would public performance is much yes bigger right. in very appreciative yeah. and when i would show uh, uh drawings that I, I would be working on very large format like wild size drawings and that, uh, and people just like people who would come up who who laborers would come up and just have such intriguing reactions and commentary yeah, yeah. on them it was just great like art was just for for everybody in society it didn't not well, they had such a high, such a thing. level of sophistication yeah. and <clears throat> it all works out when you could get to other people and we need to realize the great importance of learning the horse around uh, and a sense of exploration is what drives most of us you're done with that drawing. Throughout history. Yeah. So you're done with that, whatever work you're doing, and you're more concentrating what's the next one. And you're working in the moment on that one until it's done. And then you, it's more of a, how can we reproduce things? Let's explore what's there and yeah. see what's there. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are missing that. Yeah. Or I, I, I hope not. I try to be optimistic. And yet, 
uh, I just love that you mentioned it because yeah. more people need to. I feel more people need to explore more. For sure, and I think I I think I could suggest something of a litmus test for it. Okay. Because I think that uh, when you see all these uh, Instagram posts, self help posts on what's important in your life and how to get away from stress, I really think the answer, not the answer. But the uh, symptom of the answer, the evidence of the answer is uh, waking up and having your own personal Christmas in terms of needing to go and look at what you accomplished yesterday and, and having that experience of, for me, it's a drawing, uh, but can be anything where you wake up and you sure. think, this is what I did yesterday. I need to go and look at this. And you need to get to that before you realize you're hungry or you realize you are too warm or too cold. And you go and you see, in my case, a drawing. I finished this yesterday and it's like 100 Christmases and you're your own personal Santa Claus because you've made your life to be so fulfilling and so meaningful. And I really think the true word is authenticity. We, even if it's not about quality, I think authenticity right. could oftentimes be better if someone is doing something true to them. Right. That could oftentimes come across as more meaningful than someone doing something who is simply technically yeah, proficient, craft, but aiming to satisfy the craft and yet the soul is not evident. For sure. Right. It's not that it's not there, it's just not evident. For sure. That's, is there an aspect, do you think, to your type of illustrations that is very indicative of you, like that is kind of authentic to your, your way of depicting? Well, of course I'd like to think that. Uh, yeah. I'd like to think, no, I'm a total poser. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, I, I'd like to think that because I, 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 growing up, I thought, oh, I'm trying to learn how to draw. It's such a major goal of mine in life. But what is, what is me? What type of art can I make that makes me someone appealing to the world of employment, yeah. but also at the same time sincere and, and a genuine artist in terms of I'm doing something that's truly me. And what I realized is it didn't happen in, with a decision. It didn't happen in, this, in, in, in any intention. It happened gradually through life, which I find to be most satisfying. And I realized, well, my, as I started, my, the, the main essence of my artwork is interaction. The main essence of my life is interaction. My life it finds the most value in valuing the company of meaningful people who've enjoyed experiencing their lives, have lots to say, have lots that they have done, could really live up a moment. And, uh, and anybody, anybody will want somebody around who enjoys the moment, because everyone wants to enjoy their moment, sure. unless they have some type of insecurity and yeah. jealousy issues. Yeah. So I, I think, look, uh, circling back directly to your question, my drawing is about interacting, it's about admiring and appreciating the person within the moment and seeking out unique individuals and really showing how important that moment it is by doing it in the moment. I'm not preparing something and then taking it back to the desk, even though I do some jobs that way. Yeah. Uh, and I just did a job like that yesterday that I had to ship out next day air to Society of Illustrators for oh. an exhibition coming up November 17th. And that's the closest I feel to um, giving a baby up for adoption when they take it up right away. Like, please let me hold it for a while. Yeah. I want to look at it, but it had to get Especially an original up. to yeah. ship it off. Yeah, but it's big. always about the excitement of the individual. How excited it is for me to know you, 
uh, and how exciting this moment is. That is yeah. it entirely. It can be described further, but that's the essence of it. I did want to, before it's over, I know that you had thoughts about, um, you and David were talking earlier about when you, in the courtroom drawings that you were drawing, like famous murder trials. Yes. And just this aspect nowadays of just how ubiquitous true crime documentaries are and people yeah. kind of like elevating and like falling, like serial killers in general. I know right. you have some thoughts about. Yeah, like they're more focused on the gore and the, the, salaciousness. And the sensationalism. Yeah, I know you had thoughts yeah. about, about focusing on the real, what what's important. Well, to for it. as much as I'd like to say I'm really happy we got to this. Happy is not the word, because it's not right. a happiness issue. But it's important. And, but it, I, I find, yes, thank you. I find it very important, and I appreciate that we got to this, very because um, uh, one thing when, when in drawing courtroom, uh, and courtroom is not the reason I feel this way. It actually started with my teacher, Fred Brenner, whom I mentioned, uh, it, it, who totally revolutionized the way I look at drawing, the way I draw, and being able to observe and react immediately, the essence of hand-eye coordination, which goes back to athletics, for which I forever thank my father. Yeah. With courtroom illustration, uh, it's certainly not for the faint at heart, and, uh, yeah. and being in that situation where many of these murder trials uh, are like... Sensationalist? Totally, and uh, yeah. totally sensationalist, and... Uh, Breaking Bad come to life, or even worse than Breaking Bad, where I've done uh, the... Do you want me to mention names, or do you want me to just be general? It, you're welcome to I, So I did yeah. the Hugo Solinsky trial in 2007 and 2015, and he was a drug lord who killed drug lords, and they found many oh, of these right. bodies burned and buried in his backyard. So this is just one trial, for instance. And there was... Uh, Investigation Discovery Channel series, which made a documentary on this situation for their season opener of season two, episode one. The series was called Pandora's Box, Unleashing the Evil. His episode was called Handsome Devil. And that's because when I would draw his trial, I would have a night class that I was going to teach from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And uh, some, I'd be running in the door to teach because I just got out of trial at 5 and had to have, let wow. them shoot the drawings. And I'd come in and I'm like, all right, hey, guys, we got to get started. Sorry, I'm running in right now. And they said, no, no, we want to see the drawings before people see them on the 6 o'clock news. And they wanted to see them in real time out on the desks before it was the, um, the top story yeah. at 6 p.m. at the same time the class was starting. And a lot of them were talking about how handsome he was yeah. and... How, uh, like a Ted Bundy type yeah, thing, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so he, um, uh, he, he was seen in this way, and, and he was a total sociopath, and he would wink at me while I was drawing him, and he would make oh. faces at the witnesses. Now... I would cringe. Yeah, now some people, well, yeah. me being a friendly guy, my biggest concern was having the willpower to resist the automatic reply of being friendly back. Right. He would motion to yeah. me, he would, I would nod. I think, Are well, you I an automatic smiler I, type yes. person? Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm a perpetual, I'm a pathological smiler. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't just um, walk out and be like, what up dog, to uh, a serial killer on, on trial. But, uh, so back to your question, people will ask about this and I can see the fascination in their faces. And they made a documentary about it for how exciting it was, the way, they, he and an accomplice right. went in and murdered a corrupt pharmacist. And I thought, okay, how is this interesting to people? 
And of course, I'm going through the trial where forensics experts are speaking in great detail on how the bullet passes through the body, what effect that has on the body, yeah. and the greater, more uh, destructive exit the bullet has on the opposite side of the body. Yeah. What Ooh. people were saying, um, prisoners being brought in as armed guard for testimonies, hoping to lessen their own sentence to testify against the defendant. Meanwhile, there are people in the trial well, for instance, if I was doing, I did another trial about uh, Eric Frayne, a sniper who shot state troopers in Pike County uh, police barracks. And the family of those state troopers were there. And no matter how many times people would ask with this like real sensationalistic curiosity, I said, okay, well, through all this, I had to draw yeah. and it had to be ready for the news trucks by the next recess, which could be within 20 minutes. But... Behind me is the mother, the sister, yeah. the wife, the daughters of that state trooper who was murdered. And they would sit behind me as they would say, it would help them find comfort in the distraction of watching me draw if things got too heavy. And I'd say, I really appreciate that, but there is gonna come a time when there's gonna be a forensics expert up there and I'm gonna have to draw something you're not gonna wanna look at. Wow. And that weighed on me so heavily and having to draw with the families, not only was that murder victim, the state trooper, uh, whoever it was, not only was their lives taken from them, but it also w destroyed the lives of their family. Yeah. And that family sure. was behind me crying and sure. bawling and crying into each other's shoulders while up ahead a lawyer is screaming at, and truly screaming, at whoever it is being cross-examined, in this situation I have to draw. And, and, and of course, being a professor, I'll hear uh, excuses of, oh, I, I, this was late because uh, my roommate uh, broke up with, uh, and yeah. I thought, okay, and, but I have to put myself, I have to be understanding, but my mind does go back here. And with that courtroom question you asked about, it's very disturbing to be in this environment and still push on. So I had mixed feelings about yeah. it because I found it emotionally heavy and damaging, but I stayed in it for the challenge. I can't say I enjoyed it. Yeah. There was some enjoyment right. later on looking at the drawings that I accomplished the satisfaction this. satisfaction of but, yeah. but no, you are in the mix. This, yeah. Is, yeah. this is not just a two-dimensional highlight the headline type thing. This it's is eyes of the viewing public yeah. because they can't yeah. put a camera in the federal yeah. trials. Now, this, uh, and I would, I would, I'll speak to classes when I show courtroom illustration and I'll say, with this in mind, I, I do not have any intention of trying to tell you what to watch or what not to watch or what not to enjoy, but please think about this. When people play games that are this first person shooter mm -hmm. and you hear realistic gun sounds and you see realistic blood splatter, realistic uh, bullets hitting the victims, even if they're zombies, you, there's still something going on in the head to train the brain right. to react with enjoyment of shooting people up. And I said, we need to think about this. And the movies that we'll watch where we will cheer on the hero driving through all the cars, exploding, not even thinking about who was in that car. How many movies can we possibly watch with the car exploding in the air and flipping forward? I don't think they make a movie right. without that happening now. Right. And I said, not only is it cliche, but it's dehumanizing. Yeah. 
And we need to think about this. And it, it's not because I did courtroom illustration. Courtroom illustration wasn't the reason, but it was the reinforcement. It was the words my dearest teacher, Fred Brenner, told me, the role of the artist is to reinforce the value of life. And that wasn't just about the joy of life. I'm not talking about this in some type of amusement park, sugary, it's a small world uh -huh. after all uh -huh. way, because reinforcing the value of life could also be talking about the horrors of war and talking about what's going on right now in the world that is horrible human situations. All of life, but yeah. not just the, the sugary part. Yes, yes. No high fructose corn syrup, which we see right. all these movies having this now. Oh, that's contrite and contrived. And, 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 uh, but I do have to say, just on a, a quick sidestep, the SCAD Film Festival, which just happened here in Savannah, the Savannah Film Festival, SCAD Film Festival, really brought such reassurance for the types of movies, the types of film, the types of cinema that they were showing that not only were beautifully done with great artistic merit, but were just so captivating to have us think about what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And it was, I just had a, a conversation with a, the, the Dean of Fashion this morning talking about how this is such a good sign that perhaps we're moving out of this delicate state of mind and we're ready to start yeah. talking about real issues yeah. and being able to cope with them. Oh. And I think that's important and I think that's something that art can do that nothing else can do. And when I say art, I mean the arts, not, yeah, just, the arts. not just illustration, not just painting, not just visual art, but right. music. And, and for me, that's all rooted in that statement that my teacher Fred Brenner made yeah. about the artist's role being to reinforce the value of life, taking, taking a look at it in all aspects. And I made a lot of comments about appreciating people socially, but also appreciating their lives, what life is, what we all go through. And right. my thought mostly is how to enliven that, how to bring a good kick, a good laugh to it, but also have compassion and awareness for what happens in people's lives when they yeah. have to go through something. And I don't think um, getting really excited about people uh, taking out revenge in movies in very sensationalistic ways is a, is a good uh, diet it's a, for the brain. It's not our highest self, yeah. That's a very you, small time uh, uh, yeah. line to go through. Do you have one or two like particular movies you could recommend that you thought were particularly amazing that we should check out? If you are to ask me about two, two in opposite directions, uh, one that was very accessible but so meaningful and so heartfelt, but yet so uh, cinematically driving and worthwhile was American Fiction okay. by Cord Jefferson. And it starred Jeffrey Wright. And of course, he was just so right on playing uh, a writer of African-American descent dealing with the stereotypes pushed upon a writer of Af pushing right. him to make black literature yes. when he wanted to make things true to himself and they wanted him to fit a stereotype all the more. And this just hit yeah. on so many levels of discussion. And meanwhile, he was uh, dealing with uh, family issues and loss and having to uh, care for certain family members who are in a great need right. of care as we deal with. Human yes. Yeah. And but then at the same time, when there were laughs, it brought the richest laughs because it just had so much meaning to it. And the other movie I would talk about would be, that I would recommend would be Poor Things, okay. uh, which starred Willem Dafoe 
Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo. Oh, cool. And there, there's a bit of a surprise to this because I, I thought, uh, I, I think if, if I was asked to make any recommendation for the SCAD Film Fest as a whole, I said, we really should do a documentary on facing the opposite direction and getting shots of the audience's reactions in their faces because they vary so much. If you just take a moment right. to look around right. yeah. and see the shock, the enjoyment, like the, the wide-eyed, I'm getting what I want, fa- fandom and fanatics. And, and during Poor Things, there were people gasping and a bit appalled and leaving the theater. Oh. But then at the end, there was the greatest concentrated rush up to the set designer and costume designer who stayed to speak with the audience. And it was my thought that, is it possible to get, thinking rhetorically, to have this much of a concentrated interest and enthusiasm without putting people off? And of course you're seeing Emma Stone in some scenes you would never expect to see her in, but it wasn't appealing, it wasn't sexy, it was very unnerving because because it was a bit of a Frankenstein story. It was almost like Frankenstein as if written by Lewis Carroll uh, with uh, some... Stop right there. I love the analogy <laughs> right there. Well, it up. goes yeah. a lot like, further. No, but I like that alone. <laughs> yeah. Just it, that alone has already set me do off. You, so this has been super fascinating. So David, do you have maybe like one final kind of question well, to ask of Ted? Because we're kind of getting toward the end. Okay. Well, one thing I was curious about was uh, what led you into teaching. So... Uh, is it just your perfect voice for a movie? Oh, that, yeah. oh stop. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, that's very nice of you. Um, I'll have to hold my cheek to the microphone to show, the, show yeah. how I'm blushing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think if, if you keep on top of everything and if you, if you, really, uh, if you really invest yourself in your life, I, I think... You want to give life, back? Yeah, life pays you back. Like, you love life. Life is a very reciprocating lover. Yeah. And <laughs> the more you love life, the more life shows you how, appreciate, how appreciative life is that you love it. And, and I never thought of being a teacher. I just wanted to... to I think it just happened where I, I just wanted to be active just and have something productive and exciting. Mm-hmm. It could have been sports. It became drawing. I always loved drawing. And then and then meeting people who are more resonant to your love for it. So of course, anyone who has a life and career combined in doing something will appreciate someone who truly loves that. And then you meet those people and they help you. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the meaning of life is one, you decide what you're most passionate about. You meet the people who have done it or done as close to it as possible and want to help you and share wisdom and guide you. Then you surround yourself with people of like mentalities and you inspire each other and you amplify each other's lives. And then thirdly, you pass it on. And at one point when my teacher, Fred Brenner, uh, would allow me to sit in his classes long after I had taken them repeatedly and the chair pulled me into her office and said, stop taking Fred Brenner's classes, I said, I understand the importance of the BFA degree, but what's more important is the classroom experience. And Fred Brenner gives me the greatest classroom experience. He shows me truly what a teacher is and what can be and the effect that can be had. So I would, and I I told him, I said, I can't, they won't let me sign up for any more of your classes. He said, who says you have to sign up? Just, 
this is a very dangerous thing for me to say as a professor, <laughs> but he said, just come in, just, just show up. up. So that's what I would do. I graduated a year and a half late, <clears throat> later, but I've always found this to be the best investment I made in my life. And after he went back into his second retirement, I said, Fred, I'm not your student, I'm your disciple. Yeah. Uh, and he would have me draw from a live model two hours every Tuesday night, three hours every Wednesday morning, stay with him in his studio. Wow. I never scheduled classes on Wednesday so I could do this. I pretty much impersonated an undergraduate student. I was truly a Fred Brenner disciple. Wow, what a drive. When, and he was listed as one of the 14 most influential artists as an educator in America at the time by Artist Magazine. Mm. And I said to him, you never let me pay you. You never let me treat you. You never let me treat you yeah. to uh, lunch. You never let me mow your lawn in the summer. You never yeah. let me yeah. uh, shovel your sidewalks in the winter. This is in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And he said, and this was the most, the most moment of epiphany throughout my whole life. He said, if you really want to pay me back, turn around and teach it. We need this to live. That makes sense. And I thought, this showed me not only... I'm going to have to hold myself together when I say this. My chest is already starting to tremble because this is very meaningful. This showed me truly what a teacher truly is. This showed me what an artist truly is. And this showed me what a human truly is. Where he found meaning in his life. And he wasn't just about, how can I get a buck from this? Right. But he found something meaningful in his life. And he shared it back, yeah. which is one of the greatest things. Truly, and it was fact. the biggest propulsion. And, and now, and I have that, and, um, and now at, at this point in my life, I, I think of that more than ever, and I, and I call my father uh, uh, as close to daily as I can, and my dad is 92, and my dad speaks to me at 92, and if I, if I could... If, if I had any climactic statement to make, I would say, uh, I, I, I think there's a mistake in believing that youth have, are the most <coughs> envious in life because I think youth cannot know, well, I'll say the young. Being youthful is something totally different than being young because youthful has to do with fascination and curiosity and right. enthusiasm. And, okay. uh, and I, I think that the, the treasure is being of an age with a full life behind the person, thinking, of course, specifically of my right. father, with a full life experience, therefore, knowing a true appreciation of the true value of life, and then passing that on. How can any other person know that? Yeah. And the, yeah. the advice I get from my father daily, which I write down frantically as we talk, and every time I see him, I update the one book that I have published just for him to read, to see what an impactful father he's been, what a successful human being he's been, in, in all the treasure and words that he shares with me on how important life is, and that a negative attitude is, in essence, being ungrateful for life. Right on. <laughs> I'm liking your right dad on, yeah. a lot. Well, I'm, I would love to have him down here. Aww. If we can have a 50th birthday party here, please. Uh, yeah. maybe uh, that would be a reason to get him down. Well, that is a, thank you so much, though. That was a beautiful ending note for us. And thank you, David, for joining me Absolutely. to interview today. Everyone, this has been Ted Mikulowski. Thanks for listening to Art on the Air. If I may thank you, Tamara, I yeah. would love to thank you on the hey. air. Thank you so much for inviting me 
to this. Uh, thanks to Charlotte Pettingill for introducing us. And David, it's been such a joy oh, meeting you. Great pleasure. And it's been truly wonderful meeting you both. And what a, what a great use of the time we have to Thank have this you. talk. Thanks all around. Yeah, there you go. Next up on WRUU, that old Savannah magic from 4 to 6 p.m. It's a variety show featuring Savannah history, radio theater, interviews, and music. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul.